And this week's episode of Studio Inter will be discussing all things Inter together with broadcast journalist Sheridan Bird. We'll be previewing the games against Juventus and Bayern. This week's Mochi, Moratti and Frog and much, much more. Everything you want Studio Inter on thesempreinter.com. Benvenuti, bentornati to another edition of Studio Inter. I'm your host, Nima Tavale Ruzzari, wishing you back to a week, to, to the start of a week where Inter go relaxed to Munich. It doesn't matter what happens there. They can rotate. They're already through. Um, but before we get to all of that, let me begin by uh, introducing my panelists, starting with Mr. Positivity himself, Mr. Mohamed Nassar. Um, we're brimming with positivity, although I would say we're not as positive as we would have been had it not been for the Lukaku injury situation, which we're going to discuss as well. Yeah, but I feel like Oprah today, we're handing out positivity to everyone. You know, you get some positivity, you get some positivity, you get some positivity. So, yeah, it's a good episode to be in. Yeah, absolutely. And we're all we're joined by a very good friend uh, of ours. He runs the Brothers of the World podcast, Mr. Michael McDuffie. How you doing, Mike? Good to have you back again. Yeah, good to be back. Uh, seems you can't get rid of me. So I'm <laughs> very happy about that. Very happy to be back. Uh, very happy to talk with Sheridan as well. Well, speaking of that, we have a very special guest. He is... Um, He's a broadcast journalist. He He's with AC Milan right now, but we won't hold that against him too much. But he also writes for, for the official Champions League magazine called Champions Weekly, or no? No? Well, that's not what it's called, or what was it? I forgot. Champions Journal, as I, as I, as I told you 14 seconds ago, but it's okay. Yes. It's okay. Yes, but I'm an old man. So <laughs> yeah, I, I forget forgive things. you. I forgive you. I forgive you. <laughs> How are you doing, Sheridan? Welcome back. It's a long time. I'm very well. It has been a long time, and I was thinking the other day that it's uh, have I was I too cheeky? Was I too rude about the near dead Zuri the last time I was on? And the answer is probably yes. But um, it had been a while. So when you uh, when you got in when you got one of your uh, your several your army of assistants to get in touch with me, uh, it was it was um, you know I got the I got the golden gilded letter and the invitation i was very pleased to uh, to come back and uh, here we are now and i'm looking forward to it ah <laughs> oh, yeah it's always a pleasure to have you sheridan i mean let's get right into it um we haven't spoken in a while i mean last you were on was was last season i think it was around this time and you you predicted milan to win because you you you, you, the, you know i remember you saying that you, you felt milan had that feel about them that they were going to win and and they did so my you know this so far this season Surely that feeling that you had last year, would you would you ascribe that to any of the Milan teams or is it a certain Lucio in uh, Naples that that has a, that 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 you that you think will, 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 will you know, as things stand today? What's your feeling there? Do you who do you who do you think is going to is, is the favourites this season? Well, it's a really tough one. I mean, current form, you can't see beyond it between being a three-horse race between the city of Milan and its various guises and uh, Napoli. The only thing that I keep telling friends of mine uh, who support Napoli or friends in the UK who have been watching them this season and saying, oh, they're amazing, is that it's, unfortunately, it's Napoli who have only won two championships or Scudetti since 1926, and that happens for a reason. And it's Luciano Spalletti who does this kind of thing very well and it's very entertaining but at a certain point you know depending on what side you sit upon you know unfortunately or fortunately that they probably won't um get it over the line as the modern parlance is so it's really hard to predict but i can't see anyone out of those three winning it it just depends who gets to spring or early spring or march in best condition i am anticipating napoli just to have a drop because it's impossible not to they can't keep up this such great form and scoring goals left, right and centre. I remember Spalletti's Roma, who gave Inter a run for their money several times in the 2000s, but didn't win it. So um, I, with heavy heart, would rule Napoli out. So Inter, you know, I'm sure we'll get into it later, but it'd be one of those three, but probably not Napoli. 
Mm. Oh, interesting, interesting. Um, let's focus a little bit about Inter. I mean, it's been it's always eventful in the black and blue part of the uh, on the black and blue side of the Navigli. It's never a dull moment. Um, I wanted to 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 hear. I mean, started really poorly this season, and then the magical month of October, where Inter just you know eight games started poor, you know undeserved defeat against Roma. But then six wins, one draw, and that draw was against Barcelona away in, in a crazy game, which ended 3-3, which should have, in, in all honesty, Inter should have won that. But it started poorly, and now it's going really well. And 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 so Inzaghi was has severely criticised, uh, and now he's being praised. Um, how how high do, how highly do you rank uh, Simone Inzaghi as a coach? Um, do you rank him as highly as I do? Because you know I've always thought that he, you know, I, I think he will be the Italian, the next Italian super super coach. I've always said that. Um, and and how much of this turnaround do you ascribe to him um, uh, overall? What's your thoughts on him? I'm I'm with you. I think he's fantastic. I thought I thought what he achieved at Lazio was incredible because we know that if you manage Lazio, you're not going to have tons of cash to spend. So he did really well. He moved up uh, a rung in the ladder with Inter, and obviously the budget's a bit bigger, and so are the resources. Um, but they can't throw money around. I don't think anyone in Italy can, really. But Inzaghi's done fantastically well, and we haven't spoken since last season's uh, denouement, I don't think. But let's be honest, it's it's but for the unfortunate error by the reserve goalkeeper Radu, Inter would have been it would have taken it to the last day, maybe to the last half of the last match, you know, the last ten minutes. So Inzaghi, you know, they did uh, they won the Coppa Italia, they narrowly lost the league. Inter did really well last year, and um, I'm like you, I really I really rate Inzaghi. He's he's quite low key and he's not he's not loud, he's not obnoxious, he's not a cry eye, he's not a moaner. Um, and I think that's quite rare, actually. Um, but I also uh, would say, like you, that what he does and the way he goes about his work really impresses me. And last year he was um, he was fractions away from a double, which I know doesn't count as much in Italy as it might do in uh, in England. But uh, I know I really rate Simone Inzaghi, and I think he's a decent person as well. Agreed. I'm going to hand you over to Mo. Uh, Mo, did you have a question for Sheridan? Then the floor is yours. Yeah, I share it. Um, so, uh, on the back of what you uh, your season-long predictions, um, what do you think would constitute, in all objectivity, someone from the outside looking in, uh, what would constitute a successful season for Inter, knowing how strong the squad was, knowing how close the team was to winning the Scudetto last year, and knowing, uh, you know, how Milan are this season, uh, whether they're stronger or weaker. I don't know. You, you probably know best. So domestically, what would constitute a successful uh, season for Inter? Well, I think to sort of, if I can reverse the question, it's a very good question. But if I can reverse it and say, what would Inzaghi have to do for it to be a bad season, or to be removed from his role? Well, I think that's very difficult because I think Inter and the powers that be are very happy with him. So if he repeated last year, i.e coming second narrowly and winning the Coppa Italia, I still think that would be a good achievement because um, it, it's uh, it's not easy to win the Scudetto. Antonio Conte proved it at Inter that it uh, it doesn't happen that often. When it does, it takes a superhuman effort. But if, if Inzaghi this year were to really push whoever wins the league to the wire, uh, if he were to win the Coppa Italia again, which he has every chance, and if he were to maybe... If they could sneak into the quarterfinals of the Champions League, I think that would be a good season. A great season, naturally, would be Inzaghi winning the um, uh, the Scudetto. Um, so, you know, I, I believe that domestically the dream is to come first. But even if they come second, I think that'll be a, a, good, a good effort because Inzaghi's, you know, he's had to deal with lots of injuries and people just suddenly losing form and not being the player they once were, and there will be ups and downs. So um, I, I would say that, basically, in the top two, Coppa Italia, and maybe get to the quarterfinals of the Champions League if they draw, a, on paper, a more um, a more malleable team or a, a, a less uh, daunting team in the Champions League. Who knows? Maybe get to the semifinals. 
Hmm. One can only dream. Uh, Mike, did you, Michael, did you have a question for Sheridan? And the floor is yours. Uh, yeah, sure. Um, I know, you, Sheridan, you have to have, you know, a higher, more treetop level um, looking at Champions League based on your background. And I am just kind of curious because we know the state of Italian football, well, finances and everything else going on. Is there a team, a specific team that you see making it the deepest in the Champions League? Because for the first time in a while, it feels like we have a few teams from Italy in there. This might be more of a question for Nima's um, Italian football podcast. But yeah, just wanted to get your thoughts on that. Um, it's very polite. I like the, the introduction to that was fabulous. So thank you. Very polite. I think you should be on more often. Um, <laughs> may, maybe you should host it. I'm just saying. I agree. I think so. I think very so polite. Too. I agree. Very, I agree. <laughs> no, I, I don't normally like national stereotypes unless they're positive. And Americans are very polite. So thank some of them. So thank you very much. Um, as for the, the answer to your question, it's it is it's difficult to see an Italian club get into the semi-final. It really is. And um, that's not me uh, speaking badly of the championship uh, in uh, Serie A. It's just so hard to see because they are they are so far behind in many ways. But... But, you know, there is uh, some of a, a streetwise element. Um, it's just really tricky to see them really turning over one of the big boys. And, yeah, by big boy, you can say rich. Like, it's it's really difficult to, to envisage over 180 minutes someone like Milan or Inter or Napoli uh, defeating one of the European super clubs or one of the clubs that have won the competition more than um, more than four times. Uh, obviously, some of those bigger clubs are struggling really badly, like Liverpool and Bayern Munich have had to change a few things around and bed in some new players. But uh, I just think we're a few years beyond uh, or away from an Italian club actually sort of getting to the final again. Obviously, I'm sure it's very... Disappointing for you guys on this podcast, but Juventus troubles obviously mean they won't be taking place in the uh, competition after Christmas. So, uh, you know, I'm sure you're very all very upset about that. But it's um, it's still so it still feels a few years away. And uh, it's happened in the Premier League um, without wanting to ramble any further. When Manchester United reached the final in 1999, I was living in England. And it was like um, a royal coronation. We were not used to an English team in the final of the European Cup because it hadn't happened after the ban. So um, these things do change, but it's uh, it's going to be a while, I think, until someone from Serie A can, can line up in the final. But I could be wrong. Yes, and that's a good question. I want to talk a little bit um, also about what you think, um, uh, a little bit of prediction as well. I mean, last season you were spot on and the season before that I remember you said Inter were going to win uh, I was did not think that and this season you last season you said Milan were going to win they win so I'm thinking you've got some sort of you know that you know that you you're you're on a roll so I wanted to hear your top six start from one to six uh, the Serie A how do you think it's going to end top six come on let's take in the mickey top six crikey yeah come on Oh, my word, I was expecting a nice chat about Inter, but it's getting all competitive. All right, top six in Serie A. Um, that's, um, all right, let me think. Well, I've already said that it's either Milan or Inter top. Just to uh, get some reaction on this po- this uh, this podcast, I'll say Milan top. Um, then I'll say Inter second. Then Napoli third. Um I would love it to be Lazio because I love Sarri, but it will probably be Atalanta fourth, Lazio fifth, and Juventus sixth. There you go. I hope that wasn't too painful, Nima, but yeah. No, no not at all, um, especially the Juventus uh, prediction is outstanding. Um, so, uh, yeah, um, now Inter, speaking of Juventus, Inter travel to, to play Juve. Um, they play Bayern in a completely meaning, meaningless game. Uh, completely dead rubber, as Bayern have already secured the top spot. Inter have secured the second spot. So, you know, it's it's pretty much the you know it doesn't really matter. It's it's a it's a glorified friendly, which is a nice feeling to 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 have when you when you've got the Derby d'Italia on Sunday night away at the Allianz Stadium. Um, Juventus have had a disastrous season. There's no doubt about that. They're out of the Champions League. Um, they'll prob- probably most likely. Be in the Europa League, but they could even end up not playing there. 
Um, I wanted to ask you uh, going into this game. Um, I mean, of course, now you know Allegri, not exactly known for having for, for being the, the the close the best friend of young players, but the young players seem to should be were the ones who saved him against Lecce away. Um, I mean, going into this game, what kind of game are you expecting? I mean, do you see Inter as favourites or do you feel a little bit like me that it doesn't really matter when these two teams meet because of the, the, because of the derby character of the game? What, what kind of game are you expecting? Well, oddly enough, I kind of, I, I agree with you in the sense that it's a derby, so form really doesn't matter. Um, I don't want to be too Anglo-centric, but it, Liverpool-Manchester City was a prime example of that. Not so much a derby, but... Uh, Two sides who recently have made the Premier League their private battle and uh, Liverpool were in horrendous form and they beat City. Likewise, Juventus are in scratchy form, although it's sort of gone under the radar that they've won four of their last five matches in all competitions. Uh, So that's something to be wary of. But I just think that Inter are a superior team and they have been last season Simone Inzaghi, as we already mentioned, beat them in the Coppa Italia final. And um, Inter have have got... uh, you know, have got the knock on Juventus, this current batch. So into our favourites, absolutely. Juventus, though, will have something special. You know that. They won't want to make it easy for Inter. Um, Inter don't have the secret weapon of uh, Vidal as well, who scored against his old team and really <laughs> relished that anymore. I don't, know, I don't know where he is. I think he went to Brazil. He um, went to Flamengo. He won the Copa Libertadores, I think, yesterday or the night before. I know. I saw that they won it, and I saw that uh, Gabriel Barbosa scored. So again, uh, he decided another another Copa Libertadores final. It's crazy. Here's a, here's a moderately interesting fact for you. Uh, I was I was commentating when he scored his first goal for Inter. All those. Oh, years the ago. only goal he ever scored for against Bologna. I remember that. I, I think they were wearing the Sprite kit. Yes, um, they were away against Bologna during Pioli, of all people. Well, there you go. And I was commentating on that, and um, uh, Felipe Felipe Melo got subbed at half time, and I actually celebrated that on air. Um, <laughs> I, yeah, because you know I don't care if he's listening. Um, but he basically he didn't come out for the half time, and his number was flashed up that he it'd be, it it was it was made clear that he had been sacrificed because he was on a yellow card after about ten minutes, I think, just trying to break people's necks. And I remember saying. Well, the first news for this second half is that we will no longer be able to witness Felipe Melo's interpretation of football. Yes, and, I remember this. And, I remember uh, this. Yeah. I remember uh, you saying that. Yeah, and I, I stand by it. I stand by it. But um, going back to um, the Vidal, the Juventus Inter, the change in, changing in the... Um, in the sort of hierarchy, the fortunes, I think Inter are too strong. They're too good. Inter, in terms of football, could win. But in terms of bloody-mindedness and tenacity and let's really get one over um, into uh, the the battle-hard and struggling Juventus might have the edge on mentality. Um, but uh, it, it's it's really hard to say. They might pull something. They might pull a mega performance out the bag and all of a sudden it'll be, oh, we, we believed in Allegri all along. Or all of, the, all of the matches in which they papered over the cracks and been a bit fortunate. They might not be able to um, rely on such uh, such such luck or such fortune against a, 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 an equally perhaps pumped up Inter. So I expect I expect Inter to win, but you never know when in in these fixtures. No, you don't. Um, and one one player who won't be featured is Romelu Lukaku, who was who was just coming back from a from a hamstring injury and now has suffered a thigh strain. Um, questions are being asked about his his physicality and his health. Um, in the last year, he's missed to date 20 matches due to injury. The eight years preceding that, he'd missed 28 games in total due to injury. I mean, are we? He's only 29. He's not even 30 yet. But I mean, have we already reached a point with him? Do you think where his physique, given the you know, given how big he is and this and the, and the type of player he is, that we have we already reached a point where it's it's a physical decline and this is how it's going to look from now on. What are your thoughts around that? Well, I mean, the thing is, you're right. It could be that because, you know, I don't know exactly when he made his professional debut in um, in Belgium. But if I'm, I don't know, guessing it might be something like 16 or 17. So he's already got sort of 12 years of football um, under under the bonnet or under the hood, if you prefer. So he's already got a lot of, um, you know, professional. Well, I only said that because I wasn't sure if everyone, because you're in Sweden I wouldn't. I wasn't sure if Mohammed or Michael would know what bonnet meant. They might have thought it was a kind of hat that women wore in the 19th century. 
but um, uh, he's already got a lot of, you know, football in. So it could be that he's kind of on a physical decline. Um, it really could be a lot of inactivity. Hardly played at Chelsea. That can't help. He looks to me like the kind of athlete, the kind of man who needs to play every week to stay in tip-top condition. Because if he doesn't, uh, a muscle here or a muscle there, you know, might suffer a twinge. I don't think it's the the, the real end, so to speak. But I think he might uh, lose uh, some of his pace and he might have to adapt his game as he enters uh, his 30s. But um, he has played a lot of football, often the lone striker. He loves kind of bouncing off defenders and he likes playing the battering ram role and he likes sprinting one-on-one towards the goal. But that does have an accumulative um, uh, effect. So, yeah, it's it, it's sad to see, but it, it does. Um, these days, players, they're kind of the beginning of the decline starts earlier and earlier in sort of the late twenties because they started playing earlier and earlier. It'd be interesting to, um, to look up on, uh, online how old he was when he made his senior debut, but I get the feeling he would have been very, very young. Oh, he was. There's a famous photo of him. Um, um, uh, uh, when he's at Antwerpen, I think, or is he, yeah, he's in, in Anderlecht, um, 2009, yeah, 2009. So he was uh, how he's born 2009. He's born in uh, 1993. So yeah, 16 years old. Yeah, just ha- 15 actually. Turned hadn't turned. Um, hadn't turned. Uh, or actually, he had turned 16. I just double checked that. It was 24th of May 2009, and he turned uh, turned 16 on the 13th of May. Um, but yeah, no, that that's a good point. Um, before we let you go, um. I know you're not on social media per se, uh, as you so brilliantly told me about Twitter. Things in life should be both both entertaining or uh, or edu- uh, or educational. And Twitter, you found <laughs> were neither. So, where can people find your work um, if they wish to follow you? And I really strongly recommend they should. Very kind. Yeah, I always say, yeah, Twitter. I stopped using Twitter because it wasn't entertaining or informative. It was absolute hogwash. And it's getting worse, I gather. And I'm still aware of it. I haven't completed. People send me things every now and then. But yeah, I don't have Twitter and um, I don't miss it. I do have Instagram, but because of work reasons, I made it private recently only because um, it's easier, basically. So if people want to follow me, if they really want to see pictures of um, plants and cats and cocktails, uh, I'm on Instagram um, and they're welcome to they're welcome to put a request in. Um, and my work, the main stuff is in the Champions Journal, the magazine, or Champions Weekly, as you call it, Nima. But we <laughs> Sorry. Got, yeah, it's okay. So only one thing to remember. But no, um, Champions Journal. It's like you, you speak a thousand languages, Nima, but you can't remember Champions <laughs> Journal 14 seconds after I it told you. It has been a long day. <laughs> I'm tired yeah. and I'm so sorry. You're tired and I'm you're sorry. elderly. Okay, me too. Exactly. Me, me too. Me too. But no, Champions Journal it is the official magazine of the Champions League, but it's not a propaganda puff piece. So don't you know have fear that it's just nonsense. Um, and it's uh, it, you have to pay for it. It's uh, it's online, but you, you have to subscribe to it. And I think that makes sense. I'm sure you'd agree, Nima, that I think good work should be paid for. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, and so yeah, Champions Journal, please tell your or, or encourage your listeners and your uh, your followers to get involved in that because it is a great magazine. And uh, commentating on uh, on Milan Channel, which I don't think your listeners and your followers will probably subscribe to Milan Channel, but you never know. You never know. There are some families in Milan in which the uh, the the relatives sort of quite like support one team and don't really hate the other side in the sense that it's a friendly rivalry in some families. So you never know. But that's where people can keep in touch, yeah, or, or just see what's going on Instagram and. Um, Champions Journal for the work, and I pop up in other places, um, but uh, but not Twitter. No, absolutely. Are you still on Twitter, Nima? Yes, I am. I'm still on Twitter. Yes. Are you spreading the Are you spreading the the gospel of uh, Tavaloi on Twitter? <laughs> yeah, I try not to. I try, try to just not to. Keep, try not to. I try to keep it mostly about Inter, but I do fail sometimes. I feel. Um, thank you so much, Sheridan. It's always a pleasure to have you, um, and looking forward to uh, to talking to you soon. My pleasure. Enjoy the rest of your your podcast. Enjoy the match against Bayern Munich and enjoy the uh, Derby d'Italia. And uh, and I'll try and try see if you can get me on with less of a gap next time because I always yes. enjoy myself and I always enjoy uh, teasing Inter.
Yes, it's always a pleasure. Pleasure is all ours. Take care, Sheridan. Cheers. Bye bye. Bye. Right. Um, Let's uh, let's talk about um, the. Let's start there with uh, with the Lukaku injury um, because um, it is a talking point, and I wanted to talk to you. uh, I wanted to ask your opinion there, Mo. I mean, in the beginning, I was you know when people were saying this, like, oh, is is are we talking about a physical decline? Is, Is is this where we are? I was a little bit reluctant, but with this happening again, I'm starting to think that Inter should, well, bring Satriano back just to have something to back on because Jack Jekyll, we can't keep overusing him. Um, Where are your thoughts on all this, Mo? Well, first things first is, uh, thank God it's just alone uh, until we're able to really uh, assess this uh, muscular condition through the season, whether this is, like you say, uh, a blip, and uh, a very unlucky and unfortunate blip, or whether it's uh, <clears throat> more uh, indicative of uh, uh, age-related decline in his uh, physique. So that's that's the first thing. Uh, second thing is, I think we, we, we've touched upon this uh, a few times, this is a very awkward season with the World Cup being so close. So I wonder, are players just a bit so much more careful I mean, we've seen the news that Pogba is going to miss the, the World Cup today. So, I mean, our players, especially when it comes to like a muscle fatigue or a twinge or something that they would normally play through, are they potentially a bit more careful now uh, to ensure, you know, with the best of intentions? I mean, I'm, I'm sure uh, Lukaku, we know we know the passion he feels for Inter and the importance of the Derby Italia game. But still, uh, if it is in fact uh, a genuine pain that he might have normally played through, uh, might he be a bit more cautious uh, with with uh, the, the, the handling of the of the strain? So I think um, again, I don't know. I don't know if it's uh, I don't know if what it is, but I kind of hope I'm kind of hoping it's a bit symptomatic of this uh, odd season that we're in with the World Cup coming smack bang in the middle of the season. So yeah, that's where I stand. Yeah, um, that's that's a that's a good shout. What what about you, Mike? Um, I mean, do you think that now's the time to kind of I mean recall Martin Satriano? Because I think I, I'm seriously thinking because Inter don't have any money. Obviously, Marcus Turam. Anyone who follows me on Twitter, listens to the Italian Football Podcast, this podcast knows I want Marcus Turam. I already I, I wanted Marcus Turam instead of Joaquin Correa, vocal, and I was vocal about that already when when Inter were gonna buy Marcus Turam, um, but he injured himself and ended up buying. Uh, ended up in Inter, ended up buying Joaquin Correa, and his contract expires in the summer, and he's on he's on incredible form. So I do think Inter should try in 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 January to 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 bring him in, even though, even though it'd be really really difficult. But um, worst case scenario, I, I'd bring in Satriano. Where are you on this? Um, yeah, I will get on my hands and knees and beg for Marcus Turam because I just I was really excited when he was linked with Inter and it was getting close, but then the injury comes. Um, I think that's a great shout, and if if you know some concrete links start coming up, I'll be very excited for that. But you gotta have you gotta have depth, and if you have to bring in Satriano, um. I have always thought there was a player there. Uh, maybe it's, you know, the time to throw him in the fire and see what happens. Um, but, you know, um, maybe this Lukaku thing won't be too serious. But I also do worry that, you know, nobody's not going to go all out in the World Cup. Um, this may be the last chance. This is the last chance for this Belgian generation to get anything. So yeah. he's going to be, you know, if he's fit, he's going to be giving 3,000% at the world cup and he might come back in the same condition that he leaves in which is you know just a little ragged a little beat up just not fit and i mean he has been playing lukaku has been playing since he was what did we say 15 16 uh that is 15 years of a hard style of football that he plays and yeah um it reminds me like in um, American football, I'm going to lose a lot of people here. You have running backs who, I mean, their careers are so short because what they do is so physically taxing. And the way that Lukaku plays is a very physically taxing game. It's a beautiful game. I love it. I mean, Lukaku at his peak at Inter, that's a wonderful player. That is some of the football that I enjoy the most, but you can't do that forever. And 
I hope that, you know, it is just something left over from whatever this, you know, issue with leaving, going to Chelsea, coming back, leaving, being all in between. I hope it's just some something from that and not his actual decline, because I would just for the player himself and just for the player himself for Inter and just for everyone involved, like I hope he can bounce back because I really do love his football at his peak. For sure, and especially with with his BFF Lautaro Martinez, who we know those two can those two have fun when they're in form and play together. Um, they they can breathe, they can rip apart any defense, um, no doubt about that. Um, but it's uh, I mean there there is also another side to this, and and the other side to this is always of course uh, that you can also say that Lukaku has been raring to go to show his real value, to show him to show who he is and what he can do, and and again I, I do want to. I do want to stress um, what um, Timot Pinon, uh, a French journalist uh, and a friend of mine, did uh, tweet out today, and and and, and we published uh, it on Semprinta. And I contacted him privately and asked him what he meant uh, and, and and to clarify. And basically, what you know from his, he's been hearing from Lukaku's people that this is not a relapse uh, or a new injury, but we're talking about residual pain because that's what happened. Uh, he felt pain. They 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 did a they did the screening and they saw. Uh, muscle strain and Timot says that this is quite common with muscle injuries uh, where the scars are usually significant Um, but you know his objective is to play again with Inter before the World Cup um, because he considers it Lukaku considers it very complicated for for, for a player of his profile to be able to do himself any justice in Qatar without having gained some some match fitness however he can't play without being fully fit so you know it's it's like something has to give here um one thing we can say is that he was planned to play at least for 45 minutes against Bayern Munich he's not going to take part at all and i don't think he's going to take any part against the Juve game as well even though they're going to have another um have another check in a few days uh, to see his physical status i think at this point just just keep him um don't play him and hopefully uh, you know, maybe play him against Atalanta or, or Bologna or something like that. Um, if if he's not if he's not had a real injury, uh, 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 you know, not a tear, but if it's just a strain, according to Inter, we'll have to wait and see. Um, but it's absolutely not a good situation um, for for Inter because they absolutely they need another they they need the starting number nine. Um, and and as much as Jeko is a very useful player. Um, he is not what he doesn't offer what Lukaku does. Um, he's not his, he's not as quick enough. He's not as fast enough. He 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 doesn't attack the space as as good as as Lukaku does. So Lukaku in this Inter would, and also with Onana and his distribution. I mean, Lukaku would be a fit. Lukaku would destroy defenses in the Serie A. At least I think I think we all agree on that. But let's talk about the Victoria Pilsen game a little bit before going into Bayern Munich. There's really not that much to say um, about the Bayern Munich game, but um, just quickly before we go to the Pilsen game. I mean, personally, my my starting lineup against Bayern Munich is Handanovic in goal, um, Skriniar to the right, and then sub him out uh, at halftime for De Frey. Um Acerbi in the middle, Darmian in the left of the th- of the back three, uh, Gosens to the left. But Belanova to the right, Galliardini, Aslani, and then Barella, Mikitarian, uh, Chalanoglu play 40, two of them play 45 minutes, minutes each. Korea starts, and then Lautaro, Jeko, 45 minutes each. That's my lineup. Other than that, I don't care about this game. I could not care less. Uh, you know, what's your thoughts, Mo? I thought you were talking about the Victoria game. No, 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 no. I thought we'd talk about just get rid of the get rid of the the Bayern game before we. we yeah, I think it's a pretty solid lineup. I uh, I agree. I don't know. I don't know if I would start uh, Andanovic over Onana though. I don't know. I think uh, like uh, we said before, goalkeepers need continuity, and it's not like Onana has had this super long stretch. Um, so yeah, I think maybe this is my only uh, my only point of contention with you. I'd love to see Belanova and Aslani play for an extended period of time and see what these guys do. Yeah, no, I uh, I agree. I mean, can we? I mean, it's impossible to predict this, but I'm thinking Bayern wins two one, three one, something like that. Who are you? Probably, probably sounds reasonable. Mike, what about you? Uh, so you're saying we're not recreating 2011? Um, no, I don't think it's going to be that dramatic. 
<laughs> okay. Okay. So that that taking that into account, I mean, I like I'd like to see the rotation. I would really like to see a lot of faces that I haven't seen recently because they still need runouts. We still need to see what's there. It's a long season. Um, I'm glad this game doesn't matter. I think that's a bullet dodged. Um, and two for two reasons because, I mean, Pilsen's out of the way. That's a win. That makes the three-three Barcelona draw a moot point. No one has to point fingers at Christian Aslani or anyone else anymore about that. I'm very happy about that. Then uh, if Lukaku has to miss another Champions League match, it's if it's a dead rubber, I mean, that's fine. Um, yeah, it's just uh, it's coming at the right time. Um, Juve right after. Um, I don't think this Champions League group could have set up, you know, much more perfect for Inter other than, of course, like winning the group. But like nobody was asking for that. No, no, that would be unrealistic and unfair to ask him to, to, to be able to compete with with this Bayern Munich. I mean, for me, the favourites to win the Champions League, Bayern, City, they're, they're the favourites with PSG in, in, in a little bit distance. But to me, Bayern and City are just in a league of their own. I don't think anyone else comes close to them. Um, right, the Victoria Pilsen game, 4-0, absolute fe- inter-festival. Everyone's, you know, it was complete happiness. And, and the, the vibe when, when Lukaku came on was so positive and he scored his, fo- he scored his goal and, 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 and all that. So, um, I mean, it's it, it just feel... I, I really want to praise Simon Inzaghi for what he's done here because a month ago, exactly a month ago, it's the 31st of October, we're sitting here, uh, about, you know... A month ago, Inter had four defeats. Had just lost. To, had just lost to Roma, undeserved at home, but still a defeat. And they had this these this stretch of Champions League fixtures ahead of them with Fiorentina, and they've won every single one um, except for um, except for the for the Barcelona game. And 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 he's done so. And, and Inter have done so because why by you know by by he's he's shown. By this team meeting that they all talk about, where they all, you know, sat down and spoke about what was not working, and everyone, you know, took responsibility and said what what they did was a mistake. Uh, you know, everyone did a mea culpa. Everyone said, "What we're going to do to do to do better?" And they decided on a strategy. And there has been changes. Inter are much more compact. They play deeper, um, and and the team is much more balanced. And now things are. I mean, and and um and now we we see an Alessandro Bastoni and Nicolo Barella who are simply unplayable right now. I think Bastoni is as good as I've ever seen him. And Barella is scoring for fun. And But yet I still get the feeling that Barella has at least another 20-30% before he hits, he hits his absolute peak. Do you agree with that, Mo? So I have, I have a, I'm very, I was hoping that, uh, like if Barella wasn't going to be brought up, I was going to interject at some point to speak about him. I, I, I totally agree. I think the guy's got, a good fair bit of upside still left in his potential. I was just wondering, I was thinking as I was uh, thinking over the games before uh, before the podcast, I wonder how much of Barella's resurgence has to do with uh, Mkhitaryan's uh, injection into the team. Mm. I've, I've been looking at the heat maps of Brozovic and, and, and Mkhitaryan uh, so far this season, and you'll find that uh, Miki takes a much wider sort of position up front, allowing Barella maybe to play more centrally and be that more effective up in the final third. I don't know. I haven't looked at it through. I haven't looked at the different heat maps in different games, but I, I'm, I'm just thinking a lot of a lot of the malaise early in the season was, you know, this usual Brozovic body language, mispass, arms in the air sort of ugh, feeling that we got. And it's not there anymore. And I'm sure it's got nothing to do with uh, with interplayer like between Brozovic and Barella and um, Chalonoglu because the three form a great trio. But maybe there was something there that, uh, like you had said, Inzaghi had asked of the midfield trio early in the season and Brozovic's injury just catalyzed this new way of taking form in the pitch. We see much less of uh, Hakan but he's much more impactful when he's got the ball. But I just think Barella's, Barella's on fire. Barella's in, in, incredible. And I'm, I'm just wondering how much of that has to do with the, uh, not the direct understanding, but uh, where, where him and Mikatrian uh, occupy space on the pitch. 
That's that's a good point. I think it's a combination of Hakan Chalanoglu and Mikitarian. I think what you get with Mikitarian is a very high footballing IQ. He's not the quickest player anymore, but he's incredibly safe with the ball. He's a technical player and he has an he has he is a very intelligent football player. He sees the game and moves the game in a, in a completely different way to Brozovic. It's a completely different dynamic. But I think he the way that he I think that's part of it to Barella. But Barella's resurgence, and also I think Hakan Chalanoglu. Look, Hakan Chalanoglu does not run as much as Brozovic does. I think that's pretty much impossible to cover more distance than Brozovic does on a football pitch in 90 minutes. But what Hakan Chalanoglu does is what what Fabio Capello said. I think about a week ago on on Club Calcio on 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 Sky Club Calcio. He said Brozovic is is a better player in terms of um in terms of uh, creating from deep but Chalanoglu provides more quality and I think that's that's an interesting thing I don't think there's a problem because I think when when this is a good problem to have considering that we actually last season at some point started Matias Vecino as a regista so I think it's good that you've got Hakan Chalanoglu and Brozovic to, to to alternate between those and also you can play both of them when Mickey because you can't overplay Mikitarian either he's not exactly a teenager and what what happens with that is that when Pete when teams mark Brozovic that's okay because Hakan he can swap places with Hakan Chalanoglu who can who who can you know they can swap places in between uh, between each other and so if you mark one then you leave space more for the other and and there's a, it's just similar to how Conte's Inter won the Scudetto you know from February to May where Eriksen Barella and Brozovic all kind of inter, interchanged in midfield and the three of them kind of could 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 play in all three midfield positions I think that's a really good thing to have. Um, I want to get Mike, Mikey on this as well. Um, wh- wh- where are you on, on on this little debate we've had on Barella? Do you think that Barella still has 20, 25, 30% or however many percent left until he hits his ceiling? Um, and and if and why do you th- and, and do you think it's got anything to do with the fact that maybe Brozovic isn't on the pitch and it's because Chalanoglu and Mikitarian are, are are providing a different kind of you know option for him? You know, it's interesting to me. I love watching Barella succeed because if you are to go back to some of the very first episodes of my podcast, the Birds of the World podcast at BOTW Pod, um, quick plug, um, I was very critical of um, the signing of Nicolo Barella. I did not I, – I was worried that he may not reach the peaks that were advertised, but here he is um, years on, and he is. I think he is – very close to you know a peak um he's still relatively young i mean he's got a couple more years before i think he is you know the full complete midfielder in like world football like it's gonna take a while for him to you know continue to learn but oh man where he's at right now is amazing and like i do hope that there is something in the squad something in him that will continue to push him to be greater because i do agree i do think that is in him and to talk about the whole midfield that you guys were talking about um i think this is the most fluid midfield inter have had since conte left since erickson had to be forced out um it's really been a joy to watch and these runs that barella is making now we saw them under conte but like something about it uh, also reminds me of kind of some of the midfield runs that a certain Sergei Milinkovic-Savic would make um, at Lazio under Simone Inzaghi. So it's just, it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I'm very happy to see it. And I think there is more to come. Yes, absolutely. Um, right. So we are, we haven't spoken about it uh, yet. It pre- we got to preview it. It's the Derby d'Italia on Sunday night, if I'm not mistaken, at 8.45 p.m. CET, classic uh, kickoff time in Italian football. Um, and, uh, yeah, 6, 6, 6th of November, <clears throat> Sunday, 8.45 CET. Um, so, look, it's you can't demand that Inter win away against Juve. It doesn't matter how poor Juve are. But I do feel that if Inter are to compete for this Scudetto, they have to win pretty much all three games starting against Juve and then Bologna and then Atalanta. But let's focus on the Juve game. Is this a little bit of fool's gold? The fact that Inter look so uh, have, 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 are coming from such great form 
uh, and playing reasonably well, and Juve are pretty much in perpetual crisis, can looks be deceiving. And also, if you look at the table, Juve are only two points behind Inter. Do you, I mean, I'm starting to feel that the biggest worry going into this game is that Inter underestimate this put this 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 task. Um, and 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 that that's Simone Inzaghi's biggest job to to get these guys to realize that no, you're not, you can't do that. This is still Juve. What what do you think, Mo? What are your feelings going into this uh, to this game? Yeah, ironically, I think uh, I mean I think this is Inzaghi's game to win or lose. I think ultimately, like you just said, uh, Inzaghi's preparation for the game. Inter are a better side in better form, and like you've also said, and Sheridan earlier said, you know, in derbies, form doesn't really matter. And this is, you know, you get the alliance, so it sucks. But I still think Inter are so much better and, and, and have achieved much closer to their potential than Juve have so far. So Inter know what to do, know what it takes. They've been to the Camp Nou and they've played well. They've almost beat Barca. Let's see what happens in, in, in the Allianz uh, Arena uh, midweek against Bayern. But if, if, if we put a good showing there, then, you know, it's our game to lose. So on the one hand, like you say, Simone cannot underestimate this game at all. He needs to, you know, make sure that the player's headspace is correct. We are still playing Juve, and Juve at home are awful regardless of what, whatever state they're in. On the other hand, I think the only way Inter gets something out of this game is if they don't respect Juventus too much either. So if Inzaghi is going to play this cowardly sort of football that was pretty idiosyncratic of the first few games of the season, I don't think Inter are going to go hard. It's just you're going to give Juventus the space, you're going to give you're going to see the space, you're going to see the initiative to Allegri, and Juve are going to punish Inter for that. If Inter are going to get anything out of this game, it's going to be by outplaying and outperforming Juventus uh, over the 90 minutes, which they should be confident in being able to do at this point in time. That's it, you know. So, so don't underestimate the game. Don't, don't under, underestimate the match, but also don't overrespect uh, Juventus either. Because if 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 we cede the reins of the game to Juventus, we're getting nothing. It's uh, whether it's refereeing errors or the crowd or. Or just Juventus is grit, whatever. We're just not going to win. It has to be 90 minutes, balls to the wall, uh, great football, great uh, Inzaghi ball. Mm. Uh, Mikey, what are your thoughts going into this? Um, you know, it's always interesting. There's always storylines going into derbies, but uh, not to be too cliche, but a derby's a derby, and you can't really, you know, there's not. You can calculate all day, but everything goes out the window when that ball is kicked off. We've seen some of the worst inter teams just randomly rock up one day and, you know, beat some of the best Juves of the past decade. Um, You know, Frank DeBoer, like, weeks from getting sacked is one that comes to mind, beating one <laughs> of the best Juves from that era. So, I mean, what I think Inter should that was. Oh, that was my favorite. insane game that was. That was a very... Stramala. <laughs> yes, yeah, Stramala too. That, also, that was yes. also fantastic. That, that's probably my favorite, the Stramala one, the first. Conte's, Conte's Invincibles. I mean, Stramachoni with, with Gargano and, and Mudingai. <laughs> yeah, yeah it, it was their first. Uh, it was their first loss in the new stadium, I believe. Yes, yeah, it was. It really was. Yeah, those are some of my fondest early Interista memories are those wins because, I mean, wasn't much else going on in that time. So those Ew. were what I drew on my calendar, and those are some of the biggest wins of my early um, indoctrination into whatever this place is. <laughs> um, and, yeah, um, Inter should win this. I mean, no doubt about it. This This is a good team. This is a team that has hit form. They look like what – we were hoping from them before the season started. Um, it just took them uh, way too long. Um, but, you know, that can be blamed on a number of things. Um, you know, um, uh, World Cup coming up, um, one of them as well. Um, yeah, I just think if Inter play their game, they go there. And they don't let Allegri absolutely muck up the entire game. Inter should be fine. Mm. All right, predictions then. Um, I think it's going to end in a 1-1 draw. Um, I don't think Juve Inter can beat 
Juve um, three in a row like this. I don't know. It's it, I think it's yeah. It's you know it's it's already three in a row. It's a Super Coppa uh, League and uh, Coppa Italia. But to beat Juve away in the Serie A, um, they're yet to do that. Um, and I think that's or no, they did in the Serie A last season. I don't know. I just have a str- I just really really struggle to see how Inter will be. Not, yeah, will be allowed to beat this Juve. I think that I think one one is is where it's at. Um, what about you, uh, Mike? And uh, then I want to go to Mo. Honestly, I'm happy with a one one. Um, I would like a win. Uh, we have talked about um earlier how you know Inter really need as many wins as they can get uh up until the World Cup to really set themselves up for that second half. I guess mad dash to the finish that's going to be coming around in the you know. Uh, beginning of 2023 um but i would take a draw you know i could see one of these insanely chaotic 2-1 wins for inter (laughs) at the death where everyone is buzzing (sighs) for like three hours afterwards and no one can focus on anything and the weekend is gone but i mean i would take that i'd be very happy with a 2-1 but i'm gonna agree with you 1-1 uh lataro is gonna get the goal Mm, i hope you're right mo you think Inter going to win, or do you think that? Um, what do you think? Yeah, I think um, <clears throat> I think Inter going to win. I think it's a, potentially even a three-one win. Oof. Um, yeah, yeah, I think so. I think again, it's all contingent on the team going onto the pitch with the right mindset, prepared correctly. I think there's no reason why uh, why not. So I, I, I think uh, Lautaro should uh, score a couple, and let's give uh, Barella another. Oof, well, that there, there's, there's, that, he certainly makes, he certainly is, is shows why we call him, why, why, why he's Mr. Positive, <laughs> <laughs> predicting stuff like that. But yeah, let's, you know, from your mouth to God's ears, Mr. Monasa. Um, right, let's go. Now it's time for the part of the show where we pay tribute, rip the piss out of, and criticize someone or something heavily in the world of football, starting with the positivity. This week's Morati, which will be presented by Mr. Mohammed Nasser. His, he works a lot, he's intelligent, and he surprises uh, people sometimes with his uh, ideas. Not easy to find one person of this uh, qualities. So, um, this week's Moratti is actually uh, two, two different touches or plays. It's, uh, it's uh, Di Marco's uh, left foot received, receipt of the ball, and then assist to Zeko for the first first goal against Victoria Pilsen and it's uh, Barella's uh, receiving the ball with his right foot taking two steps and then banging it in for that second goal against Sampdoria this weekend which probably will be a contender for goal of the season come the end of the season and I thought it's very interesting that both both plays were ones where the player receives the ball with the same foot that he distributes the ball with with minor steps and both were half volleys. I just thought both of them were just exquisite, amazing, you know, uh, examples of ball control in a very dynamic sort of situation. It's not like they were, st- they were stood still. Both players were running towards the goal at probably full clip when they received, uh, received their balls and then distributed them. So these two touches or these two re- passive receipts and then uh, shots and, or uh, assists are my Moratti of the week. I have to give um, a special mention because my Moratti of the week is a former Inter uh, Bologna Napoli defender, Massimo Tarantino, for when, if you all remember, there was a horrible incident in Milan in a supermarket uh, or a shopping mall. I think it was a supermarket where a mentally ill person grabbed a knife and started stabbing people. And one of the people he stabbed was Pablo Mari, who plays for Monza. Uh, and one of the people, and, and the reason I say Massimo Tarantino is my is my Moratti, is because Massimo Tarantino um, was able to disarm the the person who was stabbing people and held him down until the police came. And he and I'm going to read out what he said. He says, "I was at the checkout line with my wife and a tw- and my 22 year old daughter, having gone shopping. Uh, I saw this man. At one point, I started to hear screams, but screams of pain and fear." I saw this man running towards us with a knife in his hand. My first reaction was to put myself in front of my family to protect them. Then he struck an employee who was a meter away from me, and in the clash they fell to the ground. It was at that moment that I had the clarity to approach and kick to the ha- kick kick to kick at his hand, 
a kick to the hand that was still holding the knife. But the weapon didn't go as far, so I pushed it away and blocked his hand with my foot. He didn't try to escape. It was like he had let he had let himself go, as if he had died. Um, I saw, uh, and then afterwards he says that he he saw he saw Pablo Mari's family immediately after the attack, and uh, and 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 said uh, I saw his wife and son near the tills when it was all over, and the rescuers were intervening. But I think Pablo was hit in the central area between the aisles. That's where the first screams came from and the alarm. Um, but I'm no, uh, I'm absolutely no hero, he said. Now that is, if that 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 to me is, that's heroic stuff. That's superhero stuff right there. So for me, Massimo Tarantino is uh, is, the, uh, is the is the is the is the Moratti of the week. Right. Let's move on to something much more comical. This week's frog, which will be presented by Mr. Michael McDuff. Uh, yeah, I guess we got some lightning up to do. Um, so, uh, Nima, we talked about this because I was like, wow, how am I going to, how can I, you know, top what uh, Jake Smalley does, you know, uh, week in, week out over here. And I found um, something from the only source I found, I haven't looked much deeper, but is a YouTube clip. Um, it's on um, a great follow, um, Francesco Calcio on Twitter. Uh, great follow. Um, yes, always, yes. always something obscure. I love it. It is. This is my favorite genre of tweet. Yeah. Um, but in a City of D match between Vado and uh, Ligorna or Ligorna, I'm not entirely sure. I've never heard of either of these football clubs ever. Um, the Vado president decided to get on the stadium speaker and began to insult the referee mid-match. Um, <laughs> yeah, it reminded me of something that if Antonio Conte owned a football club, um, it seems like something he would do. And it, it was just wonderful. Very, very, yeah, perfect. Did you, did, did, did you, do you, do you know what they were saying? Um, was there any, like, do you, do you have, did you find out, did, did Francesco tweet anything about what kind of insults it was? Because Francesco's really good. It's sometimes he finds, um, you know, an angle of, okay, well, this, they, they insulted like this because there's this history or whatever. But, but did he say anything about that? Um, no, it just, I mean, there's a whole video. Um, the entire video is in Italian for those who speak or those who want to oh, translate. Uh, it'll get linked, me. I'm sure. Um, link but. Me. Yeah, I will link you. And yeah, it's just I I'm sure a call went bad and then um that was it. Um the it's always you or um whatever Conte said to um I forget sempre which tu. it was. Sempre yes. tu Maresca. Maresca. Yes. Sempre tu. Yeah. I remember. So, yeah, that'll be linked. Um and I hope somebody can get back to me with what was actually said. Oh I will. Don't worry. Link me the video <laughs> and I'll I'll translate it for you. Um it's uh it, it was um, it was in another Serie C, which Francesco also tweeted out. Uh, it's at Francesc Calcio uh, underscore. I can really recommend that. But the he tweeted another thing, which I sent to you as a, as a brilliant frog. The manager of Serie C club, Montevarchi, got into a fight with the opposing manager from who was Cesena coach and threw a focaccia in his face. <laughs> Yeah, I read that, and apparently it was like a smaller version of a focaccia roll that was like a little bit harder. Because I was like, "How did he cut?" Because they said he drew blood, and uh, it was it, it was two great ones to pick from this week. But yeah, I know I know we hadn't discussed the first one, so I had to. Absolutely, absolutely. Right. Um, uh, let's move on to something much more negative. This week's uh, moji, which I'll be presenting myself. So this this week's moji can't be. I mean, aside from you know the the the, the stabbing uh, that we saw, uh, which is horrible, and one person died, and and that's horrible. But for me, uh, that person was mentally ill. But the what, what for me the what, what is the moji of the week is without a doubt, Kurva Nord embarrassing themselves. Um, and if for those of you who don't know uh, what happened, uh, it was an Inter three 0 win on over Sampdoria on Serie A, in the Serie A when scandalous scenes erupted at the Stadio Giuseppe Miazza, when, 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 when the Curva Nord decided to 
uh, in the in the second half, early in the second half, the 50th minute, they decided they ordered everyone standing in the north stand of the Stadio Giuseppe Meazza um, to vacate the stand immediately. And the reason they decided to do this is to pay tribute to a former ultra boss, one of their one of their former leaders, whose name is Vittorio Boyocchi. He had died, uh, been shot to death in Milan in what police described as an ambush earlier that night. Um, he was 69 years old when he died, and he's been described in Italian media as one of the historical heads of the Inter Ultras. And he had, according to various media, Italian media, spent more than 26 years in prison for drug trafficking, theft and kidnapping. And so in order to in order to honor him and his death, they ordered everybody in the stand, about 10,000 people, to immediately leave the, the, the stand and, and, and empty it, including by force, spitting, kicking, insulting, threatening women and children. Um, and this has obviously turned into a complete scandal. The Italian Minister for Sport has spoken to Inter. Inter have, have released a statement completely denouncing this. And I mean, look, uh, the Curva uh, and the Ultras, they, they, do, they, they do create a lot of, you know, incredible atmosphere at, at the stands in Italy. But I don't think that good atmosphere in is something unique to Italy. We have that in Germany. We have that in, in lots of countries. But what we do have uniquely in Italy is the fact that these people are living in, that they're completely, it's, there's lawlessness uh, in these curvas, not just Inters, but every all, all over Italy. These guys get free tickets. They get free travel. We all know. I mean, it's not exactly, <laughs> it's not. It's not a state secret to say that they, they finance, they make money off of selling drugs and bootleg alcohol in the stands as well. Um, they're criminals. It's as simple as that. Uh, not every single person in the court, so stands in the Cordova is, but I'm talking about the ultras, these people and they and, and how they behave, how they finance their 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 operations. And we know that it's not it's not a secret. Um, there was a report I read that this guy who died was making 80,000 euros a month from illegal activities at one point when he was arrested. So, you know, th this is, you know, we talk about why Italian football doesn't improve. Can you imagine this happening in the Premier League or in the Bundesliga or in any other top four league where all of a sudden in the 50th minute, the entire North stand is emptied by people who think that they own the club and they own the stands? And that they're more fans than everyone else. That they're more entitled to, 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 to being an interista than everyone else. And and pe and, I, and I've seen some really stupid comments on this as well, saying, well, you know, you can't get rid of them because uh, they, they, you know, they, they, they do all the fantastic choreographies or tifos and flags and songs and chants. I'm pretty sure that flags, chants, tifos, choreographies. And criminal activity is not is not there's no correlation between the two. I think you can have chants, singing, flag waving, and amazing atmosphere at a stadium without drugs being sold, without this kind of this this criminal behavior that they that they do uh, that these 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 so-called leaders of the ultras do, and it's it's just exhausting. And I know that I don't know anyone in Italy who doesn't who who likes them. Um, I don't know how many journalists in Italy have told me that they despise them. Friends, family, all ages, journalists, people just they're they're not very popular. Uh, and this this behavior, we you know, it's just they need to do something about this because imagine, you know, people pay a lot of money to go to Inter games. Some people come from other continents, you know, from the United States, from South America, from Sweden, from Africa, from every parts of the world people come from to watch Inter. And these guys decide that you have to leave because one of our mates, a guy, and we're not talking Nelson Mandela or Mahatma Gandhi here. We're talking a guy who spent a, a third of his life in prison for, for drug trafficking, kidnapping and theft. I mean, the whole thing is so bizarre um, and it's it's just so depressing, in my opinion. So they are the Moji of the week. Yeah. Um, can I get something in on that real quick? Go, 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 um, go, go. Okay. Okay. Yeah. This is just, it's really interesting and it, it really is a phenomenon in, I mean, you know, greater football as a whole, um, separating fandom 
um, separating love for club from, you know, outside stuff from the, <laughs> the crime and everything else, uh, it can be separated and it needs to, especially if Italian football wants to, you know, do a little bit of reputation building. It's not been the greatest reputation, um, you know, since however long you want to go back. But something like this recently, maybe a few years ago, happened with a Lazio Ultra, right? Where it was some kind of someone ambushed over something shady and there was a it was a whole thing, I remember. But um, there's a, it reminded me of a book that I've, I've been meaning to read. Um, 1312 Among the Ultras by James Montague. I know there's a part in there where he actually interviews some Lazio Ultras. And I mean... It's it's very interesting. Um, yeah, I, I just wanted to point that in people's directions if they wanted to, you know, learn some more about what the hell's going on. Very good point, Mikey. Absolutely. And yes, uh, I don't. I, to me, it's bizarre. It's like having that. You know, it's like it's like everyone has that like really stupid friend or or relative who says, well, you know, Mussolini was bad, but at least he made the trains go on time. Like, there's no correlation between death camps and fascism, and 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 and. And, and only trains going on time. We can have trains go on time. The trains go on go on time in Sweden. We don't have fascism. In, like, like, do you know what I mean? Like, it's just this notion that if you, you can't touch the ultras because they're the ones who make the, the stadium sing up. No, I'm sure we can have good atmosphere and fantastic things, uh, you know, uniquely for, for Italian football, the songs, the chants, the tifos. I think we can have that without having this criminal element as well. I think it's perfectly plausible. And the fact that I have to say that to me, I, I feel like it's laughable. I feel like I'm in a parody that I even have to clarify that. But, you know, what are you going to do? Um, right. That's all we had time for this week. I'd like to thank Sheridan and, and Mo. They both had to run out. Make sure to check them both. I'll be tagging to to Sheridan's um, work um, and, and, and also be tagging you as well, Mr. Michael McDuffie, and your excellent pod, which uh, I really see, recommend people to, to follow. Um, so thank you for coming on again, Mr. Uh, Mr. Michael McDuffie. Yes, of course. Thank you for having me on again. Um, yeah, anytime, anytime you need, just, yeah, let me know. Definitely. Thank you so much. And until next week, uh, stay safe, take care of each other. Um, and this is Nima Tavali wishing you a good week, six points, and sempre e solo forza. <laughs>